How about those current events? If you live under a rock, or just haven't read the news for the past couple of weeks, the landmark Supreme Court decision in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization was released on June 24, 2022. This 6-3 party-line decision held that the U.S. Constitution does not include the right to an abortion or termination of pregnancy effectively nullifying the 1973 decision in the case of Roe v. Wade, which held that states cannot ban abortion in the first or second trimesters of pregnancy. As a result of the Dobbs ruling, states are now allowed to legislate their own abortion laws without any federal oversight. As of the writing of this episode, abortion at any stage of pregnancy is illegal with the exception of danger to maternal health in four states, Alabama, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Missouri. Four more states have even more strict laws banning abortion except in cases of a direct threat to a mother's life, Arkansas, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Now. I'm not going to go near this issue from an editorial standpoint, especially since I kind of already did that in the episode about abortion in Ireland, but I will point out that an estimated 55-60% to of Americans opposed the decision to overturn the precedent set by Roe v. Wade. Even Supreme Court Justice John Roberts, who concurred with the majority to uphold Mississippi's strict abortion law, voted against the decision of the other five justices to repeal Roe v. Wade. Although the majority opinion in this case was written by Justice Samuel Alito, I would say that the most harsh condemnations of the Supreme Court in the wake of this decision have been directed at Justice Clarence Thomas. This is likely because of Thomas's provocative concurrence in the case, which stated that the Supreme Court should look into reconsidering the other right to privacy cases, including Griswold v. Connecticut, which affirmed the legality of contraceptives, Obergefell v. Hodges, which affirmed the legality of same-sex marriage, and Lawrence v. Texas, which affirmed the legality of homosexual activity. Of course, this criticism could also be related to other controversial aspects of Thomas's jurisprudence. Of the nine justices currently sitting on the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas is the longest-serving member, having served on the Supreme Court for over 30 years. Thomas is also widely considered the most politically conservative member of the Supreme Court. Thomas was appointed by President George H.W. Bush in 1991 following the resignation of Justice Thurgood Marshall. Following Marshall, Thomas is the second black Supreme Court justice as well as the first black Republican justice. Shortly after his appointment, Thomas was accused of sexual harassment by University of Oklahoma law professor Anita Hill. Following a lengthy series of hearings by the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Senate confirmed Thomas's nomination to the Supreme Court in a 52-48 vote. As a justice, 
Thomas has made a name for himself by, ironically enough, staying in the shadows during Supreme Court proceedings. Thomas very rarely poses questions towards attorneys when cases are heard, and he also authors far fewer opinions than his fellow justices. In spite of his attempts to avoid publicity, Thomas has, especially in recent years, come under fire for the lobbying activities of his wife, Virginia. Virginia Thomas is a major Republican political activist known for her involvement with conservative interest groups such as the Heritage Foundation. As Supreme Court justices are supposed to be politically unbiased, concerns have been raised over potential conflicts of interest between Clarence and Virginia Thomas. Virginia Thomas has also been lambasted for her role in the 2021 storming of the Capitol building, as she reportedly encouraged White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to overturn the 2020 presidential election on behalf of Donald Trump. And of course, many people simply disapprove of Clarence Thomas's staunchly conservative views on criminal justice, LGBT rights, and especially abortion. In fact, it was because of his powerful dissenting opinion in a Supreme Court case about abortion, and no, not the one from two weeks ago, that Thomas would rise to prominence. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 66th episode of this podcast, and I'm sure you'll find it very relevant to current events. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. I honestly really dislike talking about this subject, but I do have to give some context about abortion legislation in the United States. Prior to the independence of the United States from the British Empire, British common law banned abortion in British America. The use of British common law regarding abortion continued even after the US became an independent nation, but laws against abortion were rarely enforced. It was not until 1821 that Connecticut passed the first written law banning abortion. Gradually, each state began passing their own abortion legislation, with different states creating different exceptions in cases of rape, incest, fatal fetal abnormalities, or harm to maternal life. When the feminist movement began to emerge around the turn of the 20th century, most feminists, including Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, opposed abortion, seeing it as a phenomenon forced upon women by sex-crazed men. By 1973, abortion was illegal under all circumstances in 30 U.S. states as well as the District of Columbia. Meanwhile, only four U.S. states had legal elective abortions without restriction, 
Alaska, Hawaii, New York, and Washington. In January of 1973, Roe v. Wade was decided. The case originated in Texas when Norma McCorvey, then referred to as Jane Roe for privacy reasons, became pregnant with her third child at the age of 21. As abortion was illegal in Texas, except when the mother's life was endangered, McCorvey sued her local district attorney, arguing that the prohibition of abortion violated her fundamental right to privacy as a U.S. citizen. In a 7-2 decision, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of McCorvey, invalidating not just Texas's ban on abortion, but also every state law that banned abortion. The next prominent holding for the abortion debate came in 1992 with the Supreme Court's mixed decision in Planned Parenthood v. Casey. This decision struck down requirements for married abortion patients to receive spousal permission for an abortion, but also scrapped the trimester system in favor of fetal viability analysis, allowing states to make certain restrictions on late first trimester abortions. In 1997, the Supreme Court heard the case of Mazurek v. Armstrong, which dealt with a Montana law that allowed only physicians, not physician assistants, to perform abortions. In a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court upheld the law, stating that it did not burden in a woman's a right to an abortion. The next major case regarding abortion revolved around a certain abortion procedure colloquially referred to as partial birth abortion. Partial birth abortion, known in the medical field as intact dilation and extraction, is a specific type of abortion that is only performed late in the third trimester of pregnancy. The following is a description of an intact dilation and extraction procedure, and just a warning, this description is fairly graphic. First, the cervix is dilated to a diameter of 2 to 5 centimeters over the course of several hours or days. Next, the fetus is injected with potassium chloride so as to soften its bones for ease of removal. The fetus is then manipulated into the breech position, that is, a feet-first position, using forceps or other manual tools. Finally, the individual limbs, torso, and head of the fetus are severed and extracted using forceps. In many cases, the head of the fetus is too large to fit through the cervix and the skull must be collapsed with forceps or compressed via incision and suction of the fetus's brain. This procedure is among the most controversial in the field of abortion, with many pro-life advocates seeing it as akin to infanticide. As a result, Many states began to pass laws banning partial birth abortion following the decisions in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. One state that passed a ban on partial birth abortion was Nebraska. At the time, the most prominent physician providing late-term abortions in the state was Leroy Carhart, who ran a walk-in clinic in Omaha. 
Born in 1941 in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Carhart was a retired Air Force surgeon who had narrowly escaped an anti-abortion terrorist attack years prior. In 1991, fundamentalist Christian militants set fire to Carhart's ranch, killing two dogs and 21 horses. Rather than discouraging him, however, this attack only strengthened his resolve, and he began performing late-term abortions full-time. He primarily used suction aspiration procedures, as well as dilation and evacuation, but he saw these types of abortions as more dangerous than intact dilation and extraction, as they occasionally left behind fetal tissue in the uterus, increasing the mother's risk of septic shock. In 2000, Carhartt sued Nebraska Attorney General Don Stenberg, claiming that the state's ban on partial birth abortion contradicted the precedent set by Roe v. Wade that guaranteed late-term abortion for protecting the mother's health. The case went to the Supreme Court in April of 2000, drawing close attention from both pro-choice and pro-life political factions. Most pro-choice groups agreed with Carhartt's rationale that partial birth abortion was safer than other forms of late-term abortion. Pro-life groups, however, stated that partial birth abortion was inhumane and caused physical pain to the fetus. Even the American Medical Association, one of the most prominent pro-choice lobbying groups, stated at the time that partial birth abortion was akin to infanticide. Although a fetus is believed to be marginally conscious in the third trimester of pregnancy, studies on whether or not fetuses actually feel pain have been inconclusive. Regardless, the case was seen as a long shot for Carhartt, as the Supreme Court was made up of five conservatives and four liberals. On June 29, 2000, in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Leroy Carhartt. Justices Stephen Breyer, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sandra Day O'Connor, David Souter, and John Paul Stevens voted in favor of Carhartt, while Justices Anthony Kennedy, William Rehnquist, Antonin Scalia, and Clarence Thomas voted in favor of Stenberg. Justice O'Connor was the only justice to break with her political faction, voting to strike down Nebraska's partial birth abortion ban even though the four other conservative justices voted to uphold it. Justice Breyer wrote the majority opinion, which stated that any law that bans abortion procedure without the exception for the mother's health creates an undue burden on a woman's right to choose, and that such a law is thereby unconstitutional. This nullified all state laws banning partial birth abortion, although it did not preclude the federal government from banning the procedure. This will be important for later. The primary dissenting opinion was written by Justice Thomas, who stated that the right to an abortion of any kind is not protected by the Constitution, and that partial birth abortions are so gruesome that they occasionally cause mental trauma in the doctors who perform them. Needless to say, Clarence Thomas is not the biggest fan of partial birth abortion, but in fact, he would have the last laugh on the issue. 
In 2003, the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act, a federal statute, was signed into law by President George W. Bush, circumventing the Stenberg v. Carhartt decision. In 2007, Carhartt took on the issue once again, suing U.S. Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez in the hopes of striking down another partial birth abortion ban. This time, however, the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 against Carhartt, upholding the federal statute. So, what changed in between Steinberg v. Carhartt and Gonzalez v. Carhartt? Well, it might have something to do with the fact that, in 2006, Sandra Day O'Connor retired from the Supreme Court and was replaced by Samuel Alito, a staunchly anti-abortion conservative. In his concurrence in Gonzalez v. Carhartt, Clarence Thomas once again opined that abortion rights are not mentioned in the Constitution and therefore should not be protected by the Supreme Court. Now, 15 years after Thomas wrote this concurrence, the Supreme Court no longer sees abortion as a constitutional right, all because of a decision made with Clarence Thomas at the helm. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I personally enjoyed writing it, even though I don't really love talking about abortion. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.